You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 27 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Havoc Faction. Havoc Faction is a brand new concept band from Los Angeles, California, with post-hardcore and melodic hard rock influences. They have a vigilante post-apocalyptic theme and are currently working on a comic book story to coincide with their music. They have been compared to bands such as Starset, Chevelle, Thrice, and Fightstar. For more information on the band, check them out on Instagram at Havoc underscore Faction and Facebook forward slash Havoc Faction. Now here it is, their new single from their debut EP, Welcome to the Fight, My Human Condition. Tell myself 
Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Hello and welcome to episode number 27 of That One Time on Tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney, back with another stellar conversation with someone in or around the music industry. Uh, Last week was a lot of fun hanging out with Jack O'Shea from Bayside. Uh, This week is no different. One of the uh, most requested bands from my listeners, Thrice. I have Mr. Eddie Breckenridge, bassist for Thrice, on the program today. We talk about all kinds of stuff, and uh, it was so much fun catching up with Eddie. I hadn't seen him or any of the guys from Thrice in a really long time. So before we get into my conversation, we have a new sponsor, Merge 4. Merge 4 is this amazing company. They make socks. Now, I know that doesn't sound that cool, but their socks are really, really cool. Uh, Wee Man, a past guest on the show, has his own like signature sock. Steve Caballero, you know, pro skater, all, all kinds of cool stuff. They have sublime socks. They have circle jerk socks. So you need to check out merge4.com. That is M-E-R-G-E, the number four, dot com. They're amazing. We're going to be giving away some, uh, some product on the show very, very soon. So check them out and uh, show them some love and tell them that Chris at TOTO sent you over there. Also, Sticker Wolf is back. Sticker Wolf just sent some amazing stickers that they created for us. The logo that they made for us is awesome. It's got the little mic. It's really, really cool. And uh, if you guys want some stickers or some graphic design work, head over to StickerWolf.com. You can also check them out on Instagram, Facebook. It's just at StickerWolf. Rockabilia.com has signed on to be a sponsor for more episodes, and I could not be more excited. It is October, you know, Halloween is coming up, and there's no better place to get hooked up for Halloween than Rockabilia.com. They have every different configuration of Eddie from Iron Maiden, the masks that you can get, so you can be Eddie from Power Slave, or, you know, Eddie as the Trooper, whatever you want. Rockabilia has it. They also have any number of spooky band shirts. They have Misfits. They have AFI. Any kind of gothy October type band, you have to go to Rockabilia and check it out. So go to Rockabilia and at checkout, put in the promo code PCTOTOT and you're going to save 15% on your entire order. Okay, make sure that you are following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at TOTOT Podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can hit me up, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. You can call the hotline. That is 1-765-372-8818. Uh, that's it. Please review, subscribe, rate in iTunes or on Stitcher or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, it, it really helps when you guys do that. It, it brings awareness to the show and the show grows and more people find out about it. So I'm going to stop rambling. I'm going to get right into my conversation. This was a great episode for me. Uh, I've been a huge Thrice fan for a very long time. Eddie was the best guy ever and I'm so glad he was on the show and maybe in the future we'll get Dustin or Tepe or somebody on the show as well but uh this is it man Eddie Breckenridge bass player from Thrice episode number 27 of that one time on tour here we go and I've got Eddie from Thrice on the line how you doing out there Eddie hello 
I'm good. <laughs> That's cool. You guys are on tour currently promoting the new album Palms. You're in Charleston tonight, right? Yeah, yeah, we, we're in Charleston. I'm here on a park bench, uh, a ways away from the venue, so I can find some quiet. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How's the weather out there in Charleston? I know normally it's pretty hot, but it's probably nice right now. Yeah, it's actually earlier this this morning. It was pretty brutal and hot, but it just cooled down. I think some clouds clouds came in, and it's it's really nice right now. So, so how has the tour been going for the new records? Going okay? It's been it's been awesome. Um, we're on tour with the Bronx and Teenage Wrist. Both uh, they're I mean we've been friends with Bronx guys for for a long time now, but uh, Teenage Wrist are. Um, label mates i mean i guess it's all epitaph bands on this tour which is cool um and uh yeah it's been great that's cool so i tell you what man we're gonna talk a lot about the new record but i do on this on this podcast i like to go back in time so uh what i'd like to actually let me start off with how i was introduced to the band i've been a fan of the band since before you guys signed to hopeless which i know is kind of crazy oh wow yeah that's Green Green Flag Records version of the band. Yeah, I found you guys actually on Napster back in 1999. Damn. And I just, I mean, something, something set with me. I just, I knew that you guys were just. I, I love the way that all the all the music was put together, like the punk side, the metal side, everything. And yeah. then you know, I was even on the old message board on the Thrice website. Oh. Like the guest book? Yeah, like the guest book where people uh, were mad because you guys were getting played on K-Rock and like things were starting to happen and people were kind of pissed off. Yeah. Well, that was when people, yeah. How, how did you guys feel about that back in the day? Like when that started and you guys started to kind of gain some notoriety, like did the old fans kind of abandon you? I mean, it just felt weird back then because I remember being a part of that guest book and a lot of people, especially from like Orange County that thought you were their, their band, like their little secret, they were getting kind of mad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like that's, that happens pretty continually for us. Like, from every record it kind of moves on people are like oh you should be more like this or why are you why are you doing i don't know whatever you're doing it it's it happens in cycles but at that time i think people were um pretty protective of of like us being their special band and uh which I mean, I understand, especially at that at that time. It was like when music was harder to find, you yeah, know. Yeah. So if you find this thing and it, you really identify with it, and then somebody that doesn't really like isn't really like you starts liking the band, or you find out that other people are learning about the band that haven't maybe made as much of an effort into it. Um, I can understand how that's frustrating, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, it it was a bummer that people acted that way, but I think it was it was a minority of the people that liked us, and I think there were a lot of people that were stoked. I mean, I, I know that I, for one, was stoked because, you know, living in the middle of the country, which is where the Ataris are from, we're from Indiana, yeah. I was like, wow, if they keep getting bigger, maybe I'll get to see them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... that's I mean, that's... It, it, it's been an awesome trip for us. I mean, we just kind of, there weren't any really like long-term goals for the band ever. It was like, let's do this and see where, what happens. And then you kind of just move from thing to thing. 
we're, we're still, still doing math. So, <laughs> so I want to go back even further than that though, just to kind of get a, a feel for you. What made you want to pursue music? Like when did you get started and what was kind of your first musical memory that kind of it, it made you passionate about what you were doing? Um, I mean, I always was like a, like a big fan of music. Um, not, not in like a nerdy sense. I just got pumped by, you know, certain groups. I went, when I was really young, it was like, I have the tiger or like then later <laughs> on I was like survivor, man. I like, yeah. I liked, uh, the beastie boys and, and, uh, even like some R and B stuff. That's cool. But, um, I, I definitely remember my brother had his like first job. He was also in the band. He plays drums, uh, he he had his first job this is long before the band started um and one of his coworkers had a guitar and let my brother borrow it and at the time we were like only listening to rap rapper like r&b stuff like bobby brown and Belvis devoe and what, whatever was cool another at, bad at, creation at yes oh yes <laughs> yes another bad creation for sure um and uh he brought my, my brother basically brought home a guitar and a Van Halen cassette. Wow. And we were like, what the heck is this? And it, but it, it, there was something in it that just got like adrenaline pumping and it was like, Oh, I want to figure out how you do that. Um, were you guys into Metallica at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the first, the first, when I first got into Metallica, it was like just, after and justice for all came out, but I ended up getting the master of the puppets album because the cover looked awesome. That see, that's the same with me because I think you're only a year younger than me. So I just remember I got into, I got into justice and then I was like, wow, they've got a bunch of other records. So I went back yeah, and got yeah. all the other ones too. Well, funny enough, I, I, I ended up getting really attracted to all the like classical influence. Oh, me stuff. too. Yeah. The neoclassical stuff. Cause that's, that was so yeah. great. That and iron maiden and any band that did that, I was just hooked, man. Yeah, and I think that ended up being like a big influence on our band, like Bryce. Later, it's like, whoa, you can mix like an acoustic guitar and then drop into this like heavy thing, and like kind of juxtapose those two like opposing, like the pretty feel with the darker, like heavier feel. And I feel like doing that just like uh, complements both yeah. things. So, like, I think we've always been excited about like what you can mix and what complements what and how you can experiment with music. Well, that, that's what I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit. I mean, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. I know you guys, you know, after the green records thing, you guys signed to uh, hopeless subsidy yeah. subsidy. Yeah. And I mean, identity crisis was great. I, I know you probably cringe because I've, I've listened to a couple interviews. I know it's thrice is your first band that you're in. So I, yeah. I would, I would hate to like live and die by my first band's record. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, when you look back at the time and what you guys did with that record, it was amazing. And then you guys put out, I, I, you know, uh, Identity Crisis, or that was the first one. Uh, what, Identity Crisis, then Illusion, Illusion of Safety. safety. Yeah, Illusion of yeah. Safety. Now, when you guys signed to Island, I just remember back then in like around 2003, 2004, it seemed like the major labels, it was almost like the second coming of Nirvana. They signed you guys and they signed Thursday and they, they signed all these bands. Yeah. 
What was that like for you guys? I was on Warp Tour in 2003, I think, when you guys were. And I just remember talking to Riley, and I guess you guys were getting like flown into New York City for dinners. And like, was is that all true? Um, we didn't. When we started talking to Island, that's when we, we made a trip to New York City and had dinners and whatnot. But uh, before that, it was just like people were meeting us on tour, which was so stressful like uh i think we were on tour with anti-flag yeah we did uh, we were on a tour with anti-flag and just the the vibe that it was creating was like really counter to like what we how we wanted to pursue like doing a show you don't want to like you know everybody arrives at the venue you're like trying to get ready and do stuff and then you got to go meet with some uh label rep or something about you know trying to discuss the future of your band or what you want or what they can do for you or whatever it kind of like wrecked the vibe of the, the the tour in a way but it was also we, we we had the mindset that was like we definitely like anything we definitely shouldn't like shut anything down that it, that could be an, an option that's good for us and also we don't have to do this. So go in with the mindset, like we don't have to sign to a major label unless it's like a no brainer. Let's like, we're happy where we are now. Things are growing. We're doing exactly what we want to do. So, um, I've, I've dealt with a lot of major label guys and they can be kind of, kind of, you know, just not my kind of people. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're selling the label to yeah. you a lot of times up front. So like, some of those people don't really understand what you want, but they do have like sales pitches that, that they do for everybody. And a lot of times that was not what we were looking for. We were just like, how can we create the thing that we want to create better? Yeah. So what, what did, what did Island have that the other ones didn't, did you guys just get along with them? Did they see like the vision for the band? Yeah. Well, the problem is, later on the the people that worked at the label label totally shifted to another label um, that ended up being a huge reason why we ended up not continuing to work with them but yeah before that it was like a lot of people that ended up starting Def Jam records um this island is island Def Jam yeah um and they they were like the way that they pitched it to us, it was like, yeah, like we understand that you guys aren't like going to be writing singles first, but I think we can find singles in the music that you're making. So you guys just do what you want to do and we'll, we'll help you do that. And, and let's like grow this band and we'll give you the means to maybe record some things in ways that you can't with, you know, the funding that you have right now. Yeah. They're like, okay, that, that sounds cool. And then we met with like, you know, the, the A&R guy that we had and the people that we met there. Um, they understood that we weren't like, you know, like some of the other bands are wanting to pursue, like we didn't want to be stars. So like, they're like, Oh yeah, we won't like plaster your faces all over everything. Let's just like make things moody. Let's do a really cool packaging that nobody's done before. Like we can do that. Um, I feel like the the packaging, the limited packaging of that uh, 
artists in the ambulance CD. It was like one of the coolest things we've we've been able to do. And it was, was really it was like that digi pack, right? Like the cardboard kind of digi. It was great. Yeah, man. with like the, the yeah, you had different cards for each each song. Yeah, and then, I mean it was cool being able to like work with them on that, and they they, they really had like a the aesthetic that we were looking for and like how we can continue to experiment and create in every facet of what we're, what we're doing. So it was kind of, that was the no brainer for us. We were like, okay, we got to do this. We got to do this. Did it, did it ever bother you that there was kind of like this association with Thursday? I always, cause you guys didn't really sound like them. Like I'm friends with those guys. I'm sure you are as well. You guys toured yeah. together, but I, I thought it was always just like you guys both signed to Island and your names start with a TH. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I mean, the, the sentiment in the, as far as like, what was going on with labels at the time is like, oh, there's this like style of music that people are really connecting with and we need to make money off of it. Yeah, we that, need to I mean, exploit was, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, that's, that happens in, in cycles too. I mean, dubstep or whatever, you know, you see stuff like that or I don't know, even like grunge or whatever, you know, people are trying to pick up on how to, make some money off of, uh, people doing a thing that is kind of all in the same vein. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we were very different from the Thursday guys. Yeah, totally. But also we, I don't think it was bad marketing us together or trying to like push us together. Um, I know the label was like really happy that, they had like representatives of this new kind of thing that was going on from both sides, the both coasts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really care. I, I, I didn't like the screamo title. Yeah. And I thought that that was a little bit like lame. Like it just sounds lame. I don't know. But, um, (laughs) I just feel like all, music if it's good is supposed to be emotional which is you know where the emo title comes from and then if you scream once in a while i guess they just put it together yeah i hate i hate when people try to like condense something and make it into this little box and i think that's what they tried to do with you guys thursday and everybody else yeah 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 it was it was a very uh difficult thing to try and navigate through for us but i feel like we almost had like a reactionary kind of um, motivation beyond that record. It was like, no, we are different. We like like all these other styles of music. And then when we ended up making, we, I, we ended up making Visu, which was, I was going to say that was quite a departure. I wondered if that was a reactionary thing playing up against all that stuff we just spoke about. Well, it, it was, and it was also, it was also us kind of doing what what we wanted and it was kind of against the grain so it felt like punk i will say that's probably the most punk rock album you guys have put out <laughs> other yeah, than maybe yeah. the element eeps that was pretty punk rock too yeah yeah but it, 
there i will say the the only record that i feel like that we've done where we've been like worried about what people will think was um artists in the ambulance really and i feel well yeah and i feel like because because of that we didn't add some of the influences that we would have that ended up being on visu like using like keyboards or more like lush kind of things um there was definitely more space on Visu. Like, like I yeah. think the artist in the ambulance was very angular. It was very like mm-hmm. stop on a dime, almost like robotic in the drums and everything. And Visu felt, yeah. felt much looser, but I, I love the, the progression you guys made. Yeah, yeah, totally. Th- or, I mean, thank you. Not totally, <laughs> <laughs> totally man. <laughs> um, uh, but I think, uh, yeah, when we were, when we were writing that record, it was like, it's like let's let's make sure that we're not like catering to anybody yeah we're not losing any of the like the metal stuff that we had done or like we like you know more like mathy time signatures let's make sure there's like make sure we have some mathy there's a lot of mathy stuff on that record and yeah. like um and uh, the, i wouldn't say that we were like catering to our older audience. We were just making sure that people weren't, wouldn't like freak out that it was like, Oh my gosh, they're changing everything all of a sudden. They signed to a major and now, you know, who's the, who's this new band? Yeah. 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 Totally. So with, uh, so you're basically telling me that the artist in the ambulance could have been a completely different record. Maybe. If we, if we had more time, the, I, I think it would have been. Uh, I mean, the ideas would have been the same. I feel like the ideas that came out would have... Maybe different instrumentation or some like, you know... Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I would love to hear that other version of Artists in the Ambulance. I think it'd uh, be pretty good. I'd love to hear a remix, honestly. Like, we, we, we mixed that record. Um, we had some really expensive mixing done on it. And he took out a lot of the stuff that we really liked about about it but um i don't know if we'll ever have that because we don't we don't own the master so so with visu being you know a departure from what you guys were doing well i kind of looked at that as a sign of things to come with each sequential release because after that it kind of just went crazy i mean like the yeah the uh the eps the element eps i mean that was I mean, it was total concept records. It just, I love the whole idea behind that. What was the workload like that went into doing a project like that? Um, it, it wasn't much different than, than how we do things like to this day. It's just, we all write, you know, everybody writes on guitar. Everybody writes a bass part. Everybody like programs or writes a drum part. Um, I think the difference with that record is wasn't like, how can we bring these parts together? It's like, how can we, instead it was, how can we push it more in the direction that it feels like it's going? So if it was on acoustic guitar, it's not like, Oh, let's put that on electric and, you know, maybe add distortion, you know, like turn it into more of like a cohesive kind of thing. It was like, well, how can we like push them more in the, the direction that they're they're going or 
Um, that's a real, that's a really cool concept because I've always written songs on acoustics and then you take them to the band. But if you write yeah. a song on an acoustic guitar and it has that vibe and it's a good song, like try to explore what it could be like on the original instrument you wrote it on. I, I love that concept. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. And it, it, I think it was like a good exercise for the band. Um, because there was a lot of limiting aspects of trying to make things more cohesive or make them sound more like quote unquote finger quotes thrice. Yeah. Um, which, um, was great for us because now, now like I feel like we're in a spot where the, the band sound is, it's almost like you expect it to be different. (laughs) I mean, that's what I love about you guys because every time I buy a new record, I, I feel like, you know, what thrice am I going to get? That's a, that's a positive thing because I, I love yeah. surprises and I, I hope that, you know, other people out there feel the same way. But even like I was going to ask you about beggars, because I, I toured, I was on Warp Tour main stage with you guys on in 2009 when beggars came out. And I just remember when I got that record. I mean, I thought you guys had already changed so much, but that was a complete change as well. Like just the more yeah. rock kind of stripped down sound was that something that you guys like consciously talked about or was that just how things came out? Yeah, absolutely. Like we were like, uh, we had been touring, doing a lot of stuff with, you know, you have a bunch of gear on stage and synths and, um, you know, just like all sorts of stuff. And when we were writing for that record, we were, we were kind of in a spot where we were like, I just want to sound like four people in a room, like playing their instrument, you know? Yeah. Um, and also we ended, we were, we recorded that ourselves. Um, like, like we did, uh, the Alchemy Index stuff too. Did you do that stuff and, at uh, Tappy's studio? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also I, th- I think at the time, when we were writing it or right before we were writing it, the Radiohead album in rainbows had come out. Um, and we really liked the production on that, like how dry and tight everything sounded. We were like, Oh dang, like we can definitely do that at our little studio, (laughs) a little garage studio that we have. So, um, I feel like that was really influential on that, on that record as well. So you guys, you guys did uh, major minor after that, correct? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was a great record as well, but I'd like to talk a little bit about the hiatus that came after that. What, I mean, I'm sure this has probably been talked about on other interviews and whatnot, but what kind of happened there? I know some of the guys had some kids and Dustin was doing some solo stuff. Like what kind of caused the hiatus? If you don't mind speaking about it. Um, I don't, I don't mind at all. Um, it was a combination of, of a lot of things. Um, we were, we were touring a lot and, um, which is, which is tiring. Um, some of the guys had kids, um, which is, you know, touring is, that makes touring difficult. That's one reason why I'm not on the road anymore. Cause I have two little kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's rough. We, I respect anybody that can make it work, man. I just couldn't do yeah. it. We're trying our best now to do it in a way where it's sustainable. That's like the most important thing about 
our scheduling now. Um, but, but also at the time it was like a really dark time for us. Um, all of us, I think within a three, three year period, maybe even two years, um, lost a parent to cancer. Wow. Um, yeah, there was a point in time where like Dustin's dad, Pepe's mom and my, and Riley and my dad all had, all were living with cancer all at the same time. Um, and that's gotta be hard being away from family too. When that's going on, you guys are out on the road. That's gotta be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just taxing and, and mentally it was like, what, what is, what is right? What is real? What is, what is good? What am I, what makes me happy? Like, cause it was a really, it was a really difficult time. I think in a lot of that you can, you can hear in major minor too. Um, but, uh, I think, and then Dustin had an opportunity to, to work, um, elsewhere and focus on other things and be, um, with his family more. And he ended up writing us a letter that was like, Hey guys, like, I'm not saying we're done for good, but I, I need, I need to do this. Um, uh, and that was, that was, that was really hard. Uh, I think for all, I mean, for him to even say that to us, but also everybody was just kind of like, this is a dream job and we're stopping. Like what's going on here? Um, did you think that you guys would come back or in your mind? Were you like, okay, it's over. I, I tend to be pretty pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is probably over. I mean, I didn't feel like we were done writing music together. Yeah. Like I felt like even to this day, like as soon as we finish a record, we're like, ah, oh, but what if we do this? And oh, I want to do this. Or what about this part that didn't make it on the record or whatever? Um, I mean, that was still there after major minor and it was difficult. And also I, I had this mindset where I was throughout the whole band. I was like, Oh, this could end at any moment. This could end at any moment. Somebody could get injured or something could happen. I don't know. Um, people could stop liking the band or whatever. So I was like always kind of like preparing mentally to, to have it not the band not exist anymore, but I wasn't prepared. (laughs) So it was, it was a rough, uh, it was a rough, transition because we were we went from a full-time band to trying to find other work um it's 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 scary and i I mean i see it happen all over the place with bands or you know i'm big into skateboarding and surfing and see people switch careers and they're like well what do i do yeah um was there ever like an idea of maybe continuing on with a new singer guitarist or was that kind of out of the question no we can't i don't it's it wouldn't be thrice anymore. Yeah. The way that the band functions and how much everybody's writing is involved, it would, it would get, it would just be weird. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same band. I mean, I, (laughs) I feel like if, if I happened to get in an accident or something, I'd be stoked if the guys continued making, making music, but, um, yeah, 
like if somebody's like, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think there's, there's any way that the band would be able to continue. Hey guys, what's up? This is Chris. Going to take a brief break from the conversation with Eddie to let you hear from one of our brand new sponsors. Don't worry, we'll get right back to Eddie in one minute. Let me ask you a question. Do you like the band Thrice? Of course you do. They're the best. And the reason they're the best is because of their awesome music. Now, I've got a podcast called Zealous Musician, taking a closer look at the music we love. In season one, we'll dive into music from post-hardcore and emo bands like Thrice, Under Oath, A Day to Remember, Taking Back Sunday, Brand New, and Copeland. The focus is on light music theory, even playing some ourselves, and rediscovering why we loved these bands so much in the first place. So, if you're passionate about the music from these bands, check out my podcast, Zealous Musician. I did my very first episode on the band Thrice, focusing on their rad guitar licks, their amazing bass guitar parts, Eddie, you're the man! Their amazing chord progressions, meaningful lyrics, and focusing on the dynamics of this very talented rock band. I'm Marco Randazzo. This is Zealous Musician. So you were, you spoke about, you know, the band went on hiatus and you didn't, you had to look for other work. I know that yeah. you, you did some touring and whatnot with knapsack, but what I wanted to ask yeah. you about, I didn't know this, but I was checking out doing some research. Did you really join angels and airwaves? <laughs> uh, not really, not no. really. Cause you're in a video uh, though, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll try and make this. So I'll try and make this short. So it's not, it's, it's really hard to not, uh, run on about like that. Dude, you can run on about it if you want. I'm very interested. Okay. You can edit it down. Yeah. I'll edit edit it down. I've met Tom and I kind of, I kind of want to know your thoughts on how all that went about and what he's got going on now. Cause I thought maybe it was like one of those fake news stories, but you were actually did it. Uh, No. Yeah. So when, when we went into the hiatus, um, I had already been doing some like woodworking stuff on the side and I, I tried to tried to kind of start my own business and was, was also working with some other people like cabinet makers or installation people that build like the interior of new, you know, like coffee shops and stuff like that. I started doing that and wasn't really making any money. And then I started tour managing. Um, uh, there's this pop singer named Dev did some, some tour managing for a bit and then through that i got a job i got a job working for a management company that manages social distortion that's uh called relentless artist management um so i was doing like the day-to-day kind of stuff which was dude that's hard work it's like 24 24 7 getting calls whenever making sure that you're super on top of emails which isn't my least favorite thing in the world um, um, and then when, when I was doing that, uh, I got a call from a guy who used to work with us, <clears throat> who works with Tom and he was like, Hey, uh, uh, Tom is looking for a bass player for angels and airways. Would you be willing to do that? And I was like, Oh, like, y- yes, I think I was also trying 
Well, this the reason why I say I think is because I was working on some music with my brother that would later become this band that we're doing called Less Art. Yeah, I love the Less Art record, man. It's really good. Oh, thank you. Um, but uh, I didn't want to like bail on my brother. Yeah. Um, but it was it was like too good of an opportunity, like you know to continue to play music, which is my passion. I wouldn't, I didn't really think that I would ever have any writing credit possibilities with angels and airwaves. You thought it was just going to be kind of like a hired gun type deal. Yeah. 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 It totally was. Um, but that, I mean, that would have been a cool opportunity, meet some new people, continue to play music and travel. And that, that was one of the things that I missed the most about, um, stopping with the thrice stuff is, meeting new people, meeting friends, like learning about music by doing it, you know? Um, so I was like, yeah. And I called my brother and I was like, like, is it cool if I do this? He's like, of course, you know, like, okay. So, um, ended up talking with them and kind of like discussing like how, how it would go about. And he's like, well, I need you to quit your job because we have a tour coming up in October or whatever. I was like, okay. So, I was like, yes, I, I don't have to like stress out about emails anymore. <laughs> um, um, but I ended up like putting in two months instead of two weeks at that job and ended up quitting. But then um, as that transition happened, I, I started, I, uh, Dave, the, uh, the guitar player was like, hey man, like things are a little bit up in the air right now. I think you should know. Um, just so you know. And then I ended up getting a call from Tom that was like, Hey, so that tour is not happening. And, uh, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll have something next summer. Mind you, this was during the summer before <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. And you so just quit no your job, job, right? Yeah. yeah. I have no job and I have, um, but then I ended up shooting a music video with them for a song that they had, um, Alon and, and Tom had written, and, which was cool, you know. Um, and then it just kind of stopped. Well, I mean, um, he's out there hunting aliens, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, if he finds them, I'll be stoked. Yeah, but, I mean, if, I'll, I'll maybe, tell you maybe what. Maybe he has, I don't know. You, you know him a little better than I do, so if he finds aliens and you find out, hit me up and let me know, because yes, I, 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 I want I to know what's going on. Yeah. Okay, so that just kind of maybe I maybe I know them. Oh, maybe you know. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> well, then after after we get done recording for the podcast, if you know anything special, I I won't yes, put it yes. up online. But you got to let me know, Eddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after that kind of ended, I mean, is there anything else with that story? I don't want to. I don't want to edit. I actually love all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um. No. I mean, it was it was it was a, for what it's worth, it was a cool experience, and it kind of ended up pushing me in a different way. Like I ended up quitting that management job. Basically lost this job that I was going to have, or I didn't lose it. Like, I don't know, maybe they'll play some shows and I'll play with them. I don't know. Uh, Who knows? Like I haven't, I haven't talked to Tom in over a year, so I I don't know. I don't know what he's up to exactly, but um, I think he's recording from what I've seen. I've uh, seen on his Instagram. It looks like he's doing some recording. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. No, no, there's no bad blood. It's just, I just, um, 
I mean, sometimes when an opportunity like that happens, you just have to say, screw it and just go for it, man. Oh, totally. Totally. And I did. And it ended up putting me, putting me in a better place. Like, uh, I ended up helping, um, some friends of mine start a coffee shop in Echo Park in LA and then ended up working at that coffee shop for a bit. Um, and I started playing with a band with one of my coworkers, um, just like a, a band from LA. Um, and just kind of just started on this other path. And then I ended up ma- meeting my now fiance working at that coffee shop. So it's like, okay, like I had none of that. None of that would have happened if you wouldn't have done. That's great. Totally. Man. Yeah. Totally. It's like one seeming disaster into another disaster into another thing that I don't know ended up turning into this. I remember getting a text from Dustin. I think Dustin and Tepe met up because they were both living in, uh, they were living like near Seattle and they went to a show and they were like, I think I want, or Dustin was like, I think I want to do this again. I'm done with the work that I'm doing here. I'm going to like, I want to, I want, I don't think, uh, the path that he, he had taken is, is the one that, he wanted to do and he wanted to start doing thrice stuff again. But this was like via text or an email or something while I was working at that coffee shop. I was like, Oh, here we go. (laughs) Here we go again. You know, I was like, absolutely. You know? So was there any like, like worries about that because of how it ended with the hiatus started back in 2012 or were you just like, man, I'm ready to do this. Let's go. Um, I mean, I was, I'm, I was totally ready to do it. I think in, in the writing of um, to, to be everywhere is to be nowhere, I think I was maybe a little bit less apt to like really like challenge. Um, I just wanted to like make everything work, you know. Uh, we're not, we're not, we don't really like argue ever about writing music. We don't actually, but, uh, I guess I was just like a little bit more passive on that, on that record more like, okay, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I feel like you guys are like the thing that another thing I like about your band. I mean, I've watched a lot of the, in the studio videos and whatnot. It seems like you guys are very, you're so like into it that you're kind of perfectionist almost to a fault. Like you guys want it to be so great that you're worried about like parts that I think are amazing. Like maybe we should change that. So you said you kind of pulled back that a little bit just to make it a little bit more copacetic. Yeah. I mean, not, I mean, that's going to, that might come across as (laughs) a little bit weird, but like, I mean, I, I, it's all, it's all, it's more personal than it is like a band relationship thing. Like I, like I had a thing with that record where I was like, wait, what is my opinion that is helpful to the band versus like something that might be like me pushing like my ego or my identity? Like, I don't mean ego in like a, like, I don't hope I'm not egotistical, but I like, it's like, everybody experiences music differently and, and everybody in our band specifically, like they kind of want different things out of the band. And that's like, 
some of that is truly like the magic of the band, but also it's, it's the part that makes it difficult too. like, Oh, I really into Fugazi and like DC, like old DC music and San Diego kind of like music, um, from like the nineties, like stuff. I'm always like kind of like pushing things to be a little bit like messier and, yeah. um, and Riley likes like a lot of heavier music and, um, I mean, I mean, we all have our like identities of like what what we want, and uh, I don't. I guess like I feel like there's a point when you need to relent. Like you don't want to be like this is what this band needs to be, you know? Yeah, yeah, and. uh you can find like in writing music, you can find those pockets of that sound that you like, even in a song that doesn't really represent you as an individual okay. and not every, not every song has to represent you as an individual. So, um, I had some songs like, uh, like that on that record, I guess, I guess on every record, but, yeah, I would think I would think with you guys the way that you are and everybody does have the input and it's kind of like a democracy type deal. There's got to be some parts or some songs on each record that maybe you're not feeling that much, right? Oh, totally, totally. Do you have uh, a song on to be everywhere is to be nowhere that you really really liked, like one that really set with you well? Um, I think. I really, I really like that, that song in the window. Okay. Um, but then when we recorded it, a lot of what, <laughs> a lot of what I liked about it, uh, we ended up kind of smoothing it out. So like the, there's a baseline in it that actually Tepe wrote. Um, it's really cool, but I feel like we kind of s- simplified it in a way, um, that, to make it like, uh, I guess it was kind of more a production thing that the other producer that we were working with was like, ah, there's too many notes. It's kind of fighting the vocal and I too was busy. Like, yeah. But like, if you listen to like this Fugazi record, there's all this stuff going on. And he's like, no, where you're not Fugazi. And I was like, <laughs> but I want to be, I want to be like, let, let me do that. It, like those, I guess those are the things that I, I, I was like, okay, this is me. This is what I want with the band. I'm one, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let this, let this slide. But, okay. um, but that, I feel like that song had a lot of, uh, awesome, awesome things in it, um, that I was happy with. Were you, were you aware that the band Seether covered black honey on Sirius XM on Octane? I, we found out about it. Um, uh, they did a pretty good job. I mean, it, was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. I just wondered what you guys thought about that. We were like, what the heck? This is crazy. Like, I mean, it was, it was, it's cool. It's, it's kind of like a bold move too. I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. I mean, I, the only thing that I can kind of relate to it is, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix covering the Beatles or something. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I mean, not that we're at, I'm comparing the the level, but I'm just. Saying I get like I get what like you're a, saying. 
it was like a new single and then they're covering the new our new single i was like well that's that's pretty rad have you had any correspondence with those guys at all no not at all um at least as far as as far as i know and we didn't i think we played some festivals with them and we might have both played black honey at the same festival <laughs> Who knows? but um yeah no that was awesome I feel like I also feel like Black Honey was a song that I kind of connected with on that record too, though, because that was like the first song that we actually got together and kind of jammed out. Um, and it, for a song that ended up going on to radio, it definitely was didn't feel as radio friendly as maybe some of the other songs on the record. Yeah, I get that. And and I, I like I like the idea of pushing songs that maybe are a little bit more challenging, um, to radio. Cause you know, I don't know. Radio can, uh, oversimplify sometimes that I think is, is not good for the health of, of the listener and the, the art of the music, you know? Yeah. So you guys this far along in your career, I mean, to be everywhere is to be nowhere. I think debuted on billboard at number eight, its first week. And then with palms, your new record that just came out on epitaph, it debuted at seven. So, I mean, did you think this far down like the road that you guys were going to be releasing albums that were the top 10 on billboard? Not even, um, does that stuff matter to you guys at all? Or is it kind of cool? Or is it just, you totally don't even worry about it. I, I don't really worry about it. Uh, it's the result of us doing something that we wanted to do. That's has a completely different motivation. So it's like, Whoa, that's cool. Like, it's not like, yes, we did it. Cause yeah. we weren't do We weren't doing that. You know, it wasn't the like, goal per se, but you guys yeah. work so hard and your integrity's still there on every record. And it just kind of came to you. I, I love that. Yeah. And I mean, for us, like making music is just trying to somehow meld, meld our brains and, you know, be excited and inspired by music and we're sharing it with each other. And, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy that there's there's no shortage of of ideas. We had far too many ideas to incorporate all together into a record for this this record. It was it was really hard to sift through it all, honestly. Um, and that's like that's such a rad thing to have, you know. I guess it's 20 years in now. Yeah. How is uh, how has it been being on Epitaph? Awesome. Um, I mean, Vagrant was was awesome as well but I'm, at least I don't want to compare the labels but like it's it's just it feels really good it feels like they have uh, common goals with us um, they're excited about what we can think up what we can possibly do and they're they're all about supporting that so that that feels that feels really good did they have anything to do with some of like uh the unique kind of marketing ideas like the, the handwritten hashtag palms thing on Instagram, like, or was that all you guys? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I, I think it was actually maybe Riley's idea with the, the hashtag Riley and Dustin kind of combo. 
I mean, Dustin ended up waking up from like a dream, the whole like palms concept. Um, sounds, sounds kind of corny, but he was like sleeping and he woke up and he was like, Oh, like I can see almost like the thrice symbol on in the lines of my hand on my palm. Wow. And, yeah. That's, and, that's uh, awesome, man. Yeah. It's crazy. And, but then he also liked what, like the open hand kind of represented like, um, can be like peace or acceptance or like love or praise or, you know, like all these, all these pretty positive things. Um, as long as the fingers aren't together, then you get a little the dangerous territory that we were, we were a bit concerned about, um, with all that's going on in the world right now. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, just the, the idea of this, like, open hand um it's a really cool concept and then bringing people together and then doing the hashtag palms thing i thought was i will i will say that when you search hashtag palms it's about 90 percent pictures of palm trees though <laughs> yeah yeah we didn't think about that but yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that that's all right uh palm trees are pretty cool too. Yeah, palm trees are great. You guys are from California. I'm sure you've got them out there, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, I tell you what, I do have some listener questions because you were, you guys, your band sure. is probably the most requested band from all my listeners. So I've got three listener oh, questions well. I'd like to ask you. Thank you, listeners. That's awesome. Yeah, they're good listeners, man. They, they've got good yeah. taste in music. Okay, so Marco from Colorado, he writes in and wants to know, how do you approach writing melodic bass parts without stepping on the guitars and vocals? I think we kind of touched on this, on that busy stuff we were talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, that's a hard question because it, it really depends on the song. Um, sometimes the melodic bass part is the basis of where the song starts, you know? So that makes it a bit easier, but, um, I have noticed in some songs that you guys, you guys have done, I, I'm missing out on the, the title in my head, but I noticed that like the bass line will take the melody and then maybe on the chorus, like Tepi will come in and like match that melody on lead guitar. Like you guys kind of yeah. like shovel it around a lot. It's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Stare at the sun. Definitely. We were like, I, I wrote the, the, the noodly kind of bass part but uh i think i i suggested it maybe switching over to guitar and then brian mcturnan the producer at the time was like let's just flip-flop it you guys can flip-flop it and then i think we've done that on a couple things since um so yeah i, I feel like writing melodic bass parts a lot of it comes about because um even when we're we're jamming on parts. I, I hum a lot. Yeah. Um, along with like just counter melodies. I really like weavy kind of, um, melodies that dip in from harmonizing to, you know, landing on, on root notes and kind of just bouncing around. I'm not, not schooled in music, but I am a fan of a lot of, uh, cool melodic um what i think is cool uh 
melody play kind of bands. There's a band called No Knife that's been a huge influence on us for a long time that that had done a lot of that. It was actually one of the bands that Dustin and I really uh, connected on when the band first started. Um, so if you haven't checked out No Knife, you definitely should. I have, uh, but I don't know if my listeners have, so check out No Knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still a huge influence on us, so... I just always, I always like when I listen to a thrice record, you know, the bass playing is going to be more interesting than maybe your average record because it's not just root notes. Like you're, you're finding things that work when he asked about stepping on guitars and vocals. I feel like you're not stepping on those things because you're, you're going somewhere else dynamically completely yeah. different. Yeah, thank you. I mean, thank you. That's awesome. Um, I, I am a music trained guy. I'm a guitar instructor and I'm a music theory geek. So when I see what you're doing, it kind of blows me away that you're not trained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know where it comes from sometimes. Um, a lot of it comes from influence. Like, like I really like a band that does this and I, I don't think I, necessarily will be like well i'm gonna do this style part over this thing just melodies pop pop in my head and i i follow them a lot of times it's me like just landing on a note and then i pick the next note from there and it kind of just develops in this way where you're just kind of doing a stream of conscious melodic thing and you just go um i love that stuff but uh (laughs) I, th- I think you've answered his question pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 Cool. Okay. So, uh, my second question, Rob from Nevada, he wants to know how do you handle so many different tunings while playing live? Oof. It is a struggle. <laughs> I, re- I remember I saw you guys like in 2004, maybe in Cincinnati and I was talking to Dustin and he had, maybe it was him and Tubby both, but he had this thing like this MIDI thing on his guitar that actually changed tunings for him digitally. Oh yeah. He did that for a bit, but he's not, he's not doing that anymore. That, yeah. Well that, that night I asked him before you guys went up, I'm like, Hey, can you play this song? I can't remember what it was. He's like, man, we cannot deviate from the set list. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we have so many songs now too, but, Tunings can be really frustrating because it can really, it can really interrupt the flow of a set. Oh yeah. And sometimes like when you're trying to create a set list, like two songs back to back would work really well into each other. Or like a, a combination of songs would work really well together. But then there's the issue. It's like, well, you know, we have to switch a guitar for each song that just is going to feel gross. So we don't, we don't do it. And it, it sucks, but I don't think we'd ever want to like limit how we're working with tunings um, to make things easier. I don't think the easy route is not um, as important as like making the songs right, you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it can be difficult though. Like even on, on this tour, we've been like, still kind of swapping songs around in the set. Um, and we're, we're, this is maybe the ninth or 10th show on this tour. Um, just trying to make stuff flow right and, um, not be awkward with 
somebody standing there tuning or switching a guitar um, in a spot where songs could just be like, bam, bam, you know, right yeah. into each other. Are you guys uh, playing TNC tonight? <laughs> no. I think, I think we did that on the farewell tour. But okay. I'm just kidding yeah. around, man. I just, I remember yeah. like seeing some interview somewhere and they're like, oh, we're not playing that song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we are playing some old stuff though. What about Deadbolt, man? I know Deadbolt's a big fan favorite. Yeah. Um, we, we still do that. Uh, I mean, it's probably a song that we've played more than any song ever. Hey man, I was in the Atari. So you want to ask me how many times I played boys of summer. It'll, it'll freak you out. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, my, this is my last fan or not fan. I guess they are a fan, but my last listener question, Mike from Indiana wants to know, how did you go about digitally dropping in the bass clarinet at the end of blood on blood on the new record? Oh, um, we were, so we recorded that, um, all the guitars and bass, keyboards, overdubs, all that stuff ourselves. Um, like in uh, a friend's studio, Tefe was engineering it. Um, and uh, we, we I pretty much just brought like every instrument we have into this space. Um, and I don't think it was an, an original idea for the song um like we hadn't planned on it but i was kind of tooting around on my bass clarinet and i was like oh it'd be awesome um to just layer these long notes to get this like breathy awesome that bass clarinet sounds so awesome yeah um and uh i could play with it into this like it drops out into a low note but I couldn't hit the low note because this, you know, the range of the bass clarinet stops a half step from that. Like, damn it. But I could play the higher note, but when you end with the higher note, it felt really crummy. Yeah. Um, it changes the whole dynamics when you do that. Oh my gosh. Uh, um, and I was like, well, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if we could just drop it like digitally. You can do it in Pro Tools. Um, I'll just play the half step and just hold it, hold it sounding horrible through this part. Um, and then we, and then we can go in post and, and drop it down a half step and, uh, ended up not, not sounding bad, which technology is, is crazy now. Cause yeah. I feel like a couple of years ago it would have sounded all weird and choppy or have some sort of an auto tuned kind of sound to it. But it, it, it ended up sounding super awesome. But I love that I got to throw that in there. I feel like anytime you can do some sort of like ear candy thing for maybe the more music nerdy type yeah. people or people that play music, you can pick those things out and be like, whoa, what the heck? I mean, there's a lot of ear candy on the new record. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, we worked really hard on it. I, I feel like this record definitely has like a lot of our individual identities in a way that you don't get sometimes when you're working with a producer, cause it's, it's hard to suggest things when people are just trying to keep things moving or, um, you know, a lot of the experimentation that, ha- that can happen in a studio is, is harder to do when you have to like sell it, Yeah, you know? Um, 
so it was fun. And Tepe, Tepe and I spent a lot of time in the studio, just, just the two of us and, um, trying to figure out a way to represent what was done in the demo and not lose a lot of the magic of that. Or I ended up actually like all the feedback that you hear on the record is me <laughs> playing, playing guitar, feedbacking in this room, just doing like overdub feedback parts. That's awesome. Um, man. Super, super fun. And totally like the kind of identity that I want to add to the band to like, kind of like give this like visceral, like, Oh, like, this part's about to happen. You can feel it about to happen. So it's not like a dead silent to like pop into a big, into a big part. You want to hear it kind of like ramp up and be noisy and nasty and stuff. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, I just yeah. got to tell you, I love the new record. I've loved everything you guys have done, but the new record definitely this far into your career to put out something as great as palms. I, I commend you, man. It's, it's a really, really Thank good, you. good record. Thank you so much. I, I'm I'm happy with it, but I also can't wait to do the next thing. <laughs> I can't wait for you guys to do the next thing either. Uh, so I'm not going to take up much more of your time. I do have kind of a personal question. I've, you know, as, as you have been on the road quite a bit over my life, I've been to a lot of different countries. I'm, I'm an avid traveler, you know, in bands and then also just going on vacation myself. So where is somewhere overseas that you've been that you really, really liked and you can't wait to go back to? Um, I know you guys just did South America, which I was interested to hear about that because I love South America, man. South America was really cool. Um, the people there were so, so awesome. I I wish, I mean, I have a little bit of Spanish, so Argentina and Chile were, we're all right, but my Portuguese is real bad. (laughs) So, uh, I'd love to, I mean, I, I can't wait to go there again. We had a really, really awesome time there. Um, when I went to Ecuador, man, like I'd been, I've been almost, almost every country in South America. There's a couple weird ones. I haven't not almost say weird if you're listening, but places that are harder to get to. But, uh, when I was in Ecuador, I did not find one person that spoke English. Any other place I was at, I always found people, but I was in like Quito and then I went out into the countryside and Otavalo and all these places. And I, I maybe found, I think at the end of the trip, I found this Canadian guy, but man, it was, it was a struggle because my Spanish is not great. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, we're so fortunate as English speakers because people everywhere, I mean, except for maybe where you were in Ecuador. <laughs> maybe it was but, just a bad day to be there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, for the most part, we're so lucky. You can travel and people learn English because it's important to, for them to learn English. Or they that's what they learn in school. And, like, I mean, I can't. I feel so. I feel so lucky to be able to go to, you know, Brazil or, I don't know. Sweden or Japan or wherever. And like, you can get around speaking English. Yeah. You got to realize how lucky we are to be able to to do that. Um, I had a conversation with this guy that I met in uh, Prague when I was over in the Czech Republic and, and he, he knew, he knew some English, you know, and I was speaking to him. I said, man, you know, it's easy for me because a lot of people speak English. I said, how is it for you? He's like, man, when I went to the States, it was hard. (laughs) Oh yeah. I can't imagine. Cause you know, you can get pretty good. You can get by pretty easily in the Czech Republic with your English, but he can't get by with Czech over here. It's, it's, oh, it's a yeah, weird not, thing. Not at all. Yeah. We, uh, we actually were just in Europe 
Um, and I, I skateboard a lot. So I, I brought a skateboard for like the first time. Cause it's kind of awkward bringing it on the plane. It's like all this extra stuff. But, um, I ended up going to a lot of skate parks, um, just kind of skating around and meeting other skateboarders. And that was like a whole other community that I don't normally get to, to meet. And, you know, I just like met this kid in France who was at a skate park and we just started talking about life and the world or whatever. And he spoke great English and I was just like, damn, this is so cool. Like, um, yeah, this is really, really cool experience being able to skate around too. I need, I need to do that more often. Yeah, definitely. Just don't break your arms like James Hetfield always used to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish we I really want to go back to Japan though. We went there early on like 2003. And that was probably one of my favorite traveling experiences. Um and we haven't been back since and that's that's a huge bummer, but it's I mean hard to schedule that stuff and make stuff work where you're not losing a bunch of money and whatnot. Yeah. That's what people don't really understand. Like, Hey, come to my country, come to my country. It's like, man, we got to make this work with everything else. Yeah. <laughs> you got flights, you got gear rental or shipping gear costs. It gets, it gets crazy. So I tell you what, man, I really appreciate you being on the show today. I felt like I've, I've gotten to know you pretty well and I've learned some stuff about thrice that I didn't know. Um, where are you guys going to be the next couple of days? How long does the tour last? Do you have anything else in the works coming up? Um, we will like, uh, like I was saying before, where we're trying to do this touring thing where it's like a little bit more sustainable. Um, we're actually doing a U.S. tour in two segments. So we're on the first, uh, the first half of it right now. Um, almost halfway through this first half or I guess halfway through this first half. Um, we're in South Carolina. Then we got North Carolina, Maryland, up to New York, um, basically going up the East coast now. And that ends in Nashville on October 15th or the 14th. I think we fly back on the 15th and we have two weeks off and then we come back and we start uh, touring up the, uh, Northwest and a little bit more of the, of the U S and then, yeah, I think uh, then we're off for the winter. If you get close to Indiana at all, like Chicago, Cincinnati, wherever, I'm going to try to make it out, man. I haven't seen you guys yeah, play yeah. since I go nine. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please come hit me up. Cool. Well, uh, any, any plans for anything else? I mean, I know you guys said as soon as you get a record out, you start writing. Has that started or are you guys kind of putting that off for a bit? Um, I've de- I mean, yeah, I mean, I haven't really been working on full songs, but I mean, I, I definitely have some new uh, little audio clips that I've saved on my phone or whatever re- recording device now. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm sure we'll be working on a new record probably in 2020. Wow, 2019, maybe release 2020. That's so crazy. That's crazy, right? Oh, <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, yeah, and then I'll probably be doing new stuff with less art and. Um, yeah, I didn't get to talk to you a lot about that. So maybe next time, maybe I'll have you back and we can talk about less art. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Cool. Well, hey, man, I appreciate it so much. I hope you guys have a killer show tonight. Tell the guys I said what's up, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, Eddie. Thank you so much. Yeah, I w- yeah, thank you. Thanks to all the listeners, too. Yeah. Cool. Talk to you later, man. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye.
And there it was, my conversation with Eddie Breckenridge from the band Thrice. Make sure that you guys go out and pick up their new record, Palms, out on Epitaph Records. Or, you know, stream it or download it or whatever. You have to check it out. It's a great record. So, uh, yeah, next week we're going to keep rolling. I have Randy Bradbury from Pennywise. Pennywise has been one of my favorite bands since I was like a freshman in high school. So uh, me and me and Randy talk about a lot of really cool stuff. And I can't wait for you guys to check out that episode. That is next week, followed the week after by my buddy Pete Parada from The Offspring. Pete also played in Face to Face, Saves the Day. He even played an Alkaline Trio for a while. So the next two weeks are going to be really, really good. So make sure that you subscribe, rate and review in the iTunes store, follow us on social media, TOTOT Podcast. Get in touch, become a sponsor, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. If you're in the local area and you need some guitar strings or whatever, go to Muncie Music Center, 600 South Mulberry Street, Muncie, Indiana. You can check them out online, MuncieMusic.com. That's it, man. I'm going to get out of here. Before I go, I'm going to play a couple Thrice songs. First, I'm going to play my favorite song on their new album, Palms. It's entitled Just Breathe. And uh, after that, I'm going to play one of my all-time favorite Thrice songs. It's a song called Fire Breather, which was a part of the Elements EPs, those four EPs they put out, the concept EPs. So thank you guys so much for listening. I love you like crazy, and I hope that you come back week after week. Let your friends know. Tell everybody you know. Share us on social media, and uh, let's just keep growing this thing. I love doing it, and I'm going to continue to do it as long as you guys continue to listen. So I hope everybody has a good week. I will be back next Wednesday with episode 28 with Randy Bradbury from the almighty Pennywise. So thank you guys so much. I'll see you then. This is Chris signing off.
Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs>